mentioned coming in that he had fun with the GPS in this location. Uh, he got to see a part of downtown Cedar Hill. <laughs> but Randy Reagan is with us this evening. He's preached at the Beltline Congregation. He mentioned that he became a Christian when he was 10 and been involved in wanting to be a servant of the Lord ever since then, has served in numerous capacities and uh, have a great love for the Lord, a desire to share his word and to be about the business that the Lord has given to us. Tonight he will be talking about um, running the Christian race of with Christian living. So we would, we're looking forward to his message that he has to bring forth about our Christian living and being this race that we have towards eternity with God one day. Invite your attention to Randy as he brings our lesson to us this evening. First off, let me thank you so very, very much for this kind invitation, for the opportunity to be with you and to share this time. But for me, it's especially uh, gratifying to see old friends, and I, I use that term old in the absolutely best way, but some I have literally known since I was a teenager. Others I've known for well over 20 years. And so that always lifts me up and encourages me, and I enjoy so much spending time with brethren and studying important truths that we can learn and grow from. There is every intention, every time we gather together as God's people, to in some way grow stronger, grow richer, grow better in our service to our God. I absolutely love my subject because it is a subject that is uh, very, very prevalent, especially in the New Testament. The very first sermon ever recorded by our Lord in Matthew chapter 5, and you can be going there because there is no better preacher to follow than our Savior Jesus Christ. And Jesus preached on this very topic. But in addition to that, when you think about it, two-thirds of the New Testament is written concerning us living a Christian life. You have the Gospels, you have Acts, which gives us the beginning of the church. But then starting in the book of Romans all the way to the end of the New Testament, we are constantly being reminded of how we are to live as Christians. And so saying that, you will understand that I've got so much more material than I could possibly cover. In fact, I redid our study tonight about three or four times because I kept saying, well, you know, that's too much. That'll go too long. And then I started looking at the other topics and said, well, I can take that out because that's already been covered. So hopefully, whereas we will from time to time probably cover areas that some of these men have already covered, I wanted to make sure that our study focused on material that would help us in our day-to-day -day lives. Because see, from the very moment that we become a child of God, the very moment that God adds us to the church, we start living our Christian life. And it is from that moment forward that where we spend eternity will be determined. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So our Christian lives are going to determine whether we go to heaven or we see, receive damnation from our God. That's how very, very important this particular subject is. I think one of the failings sometimes of the Lord's church as we're studying with people, as they make that de decision to become a child of God, 
And they essentially think, well, the worst part's over with. Everything's good now. And quite the opposite is true. What is really happening is we are now starting this journey. We are now beginning, really, the rest of our Christian life. And there are some fundamental things that we need to understand when we begin this life. First off, and I can't emphasize this enough, the life that we're asked by God to live is not a difficult life. It's really not. His commandments are not burdensome. We are not in a position where God is asking us to live a life that we cannot live. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. Instead, in the book of Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, we're really given the foundation for what God expects from His children and how simple our life is. He has shown you, O man, what is good. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? I mean, that's a real good foundation for living the Christian life. Do the right thing. Do good. Do what God tells you to do. And keep your humility throughout your life. Then why is our Christian life so difficult? Because what we fail to realize is by us becoming a child of God, by us becoming a Christian, we are now in opposition to the world and everything the world represents and Satan himself. And in fact, what we have to look forward to as a Christian who is trying to live a Christian life is persecution. Paul said this very thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. That those who attempt to live a godly life, live a Christian life, will suffer persecution. He doesn't say they may suffer persecution. He says we will. And so new Christians who have just been added to the church and they're going on their way rejoicing, Acts chapter 8 verse 39, don't realize that the persecution now begins. Because whereas before I was on Satan's side, I was in Satan's camp, now I'm in God's. I'm on the side of the Lord. And Satan's not going to stand by and just say, oh, okay, I lost that one. He really begins in earnest to try to bring us back. And he will use anybody and everybody in order to do that. That is exactly why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they when they revile you and they persecute you, and they say all manner manner of evil against you falsely. They're lying about you for my sake. So you rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For as they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is not new. This is not something that hasn't been going on forever. And it will continue until that final day, that final judgment. When Satan's power is once and for all destroyed. And Satan and his angels are thrown into eternal damnation. As a Christian, I need to realize that. I need to realize that people are going to hate me because I am a Christian. Luke chapter 21 and verse 17. They are going to hate me because they hated Jesus before me. And they crucified him out of this hatred. John chapter 15 and verse 18. They're going to hate me because I'm not like them. I'm not in the world. I don't have the same values. I don't have the same beliefs. And I don't have the same character and actions. And because I am that way, because I am not of the world, they will hate me for it. John chapter 17 and verse 14. All of these things we have to emphasize. 
All of these things we need to realize because it is a lifelong effort on our part. And understand, I was a very fortunate person. I was raised, I, I, I say I've, I've been attending church now, I say for 66 years, and I'm 65 years old. When I was in my mother's womb, she was in church. So I count that year, or that nine months at least. So I'm very, very fortunate. But think of how many people, once they become a Christian, that they are changing everything about their lives. This is what's going on in the first century. The Jews, they've been taught all of their lives to be Jews. The Gentiles have been taught all of their lives to uh, worship these false gods, these pagan gods, these pagan That's all they've known. It's all their family has known. It's all of their friends. And now you become a Christian and all of that has to go away. All of that has to change. And that's a tremendous hurdle for many people to overcome. To just start living the Christian life. And it's not to say that some of these people are not still generous themselves. Doing good things themselves. But when we start having to go against family, when we start having to go against lifelong friends, when it affects our jobs, when it affects every aspect of our life, the social, it becomes rather daunting. But understand, it's not the Christian life. That's not the problem. That's not the hurdle. What I have to overcome is me. Because that's the life I've known. That's the one that I've kept to. Do you remember in, in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was telling his disciples, do you want to follow me? You know what the very first thing he said? If you want to be my disciple and you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. See, that's what I battle every single day of my Christian life and living the Christian life is because... The, the Bible is telling me to conduct myself and to do things contrary to either what I want to do, what I've learned to do, or just flat out, it does not satisfy self. And so this conflict goes on. That's uh, very well explained, I believe, in Romans chapter 7 by Paul. Remember Paul saying, you know, the things that that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. It's that conflict that goes on between us. We know the right thing we do. We know how we're supposed to live. It's just having the courage and having the conviction to do it. In Matthew chapter 5, what is interesting to me as I study what Jesus laid out for our lives, I want us to realize that Jesus is really not talking to people in the world. He's talking to religious people, but religious people that are not living the life that God expects his children to live. For example, number one, in Matthew chapter 5, starting at uh, verse 21 and going through verse 26, notice he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. What Jesus is going to teach them is, is that our attitude towards one another and the way that we deal with our anger must be handled differently than the Jews believe that it should. In fact, what he says is that if I have a problem, a situation with my brother, and I come before him bringing a gift to, to the altar. I'm coming to worship my God. And I have an unresolved issue. He says, you lay that gift down and you go resolve that and then you come and worship me. That is so contrary to everything that the world certainly teaches. You know, we hold a grudge. We strike back. There are many things. But a Christian has a unique relationship when it comes to our angry. Be angry, but do not sin. 
There is a way for a Christian and a Christian in their lives to handle these things. But Jesus is going to lay out for them. He says, if you don't change the way you're doing and the way that you understand, then you can't be acceptable as a child of me, of mine. In Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Brand new understanding of a principle that is part of the Christian life. What principle is that? Morality. We have moral standards. The words the world says you go live with whoever you want to live with. You go do whatever you want to. You want to, to be immoral? That's fine. You want to be homosexual? That's fine. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the way that Christians live. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, going from verses 13 to 18, we are told, we are commanded that our bodies are not for sexual immorality. And he finally tells that group of Christians flee sexual immorality. See, that's part of Christian living. We have a different set of morals that not only we have, but we practice and we understand. In Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33 and going through verse 37, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to, do, to the Lord. In other words, just don't lie. He says, no, it's more than that. He said, be a person of your word. If you tell somebody yes, then that's your yes. If you tell somebody no, then that's your no. But whatever you do, you have integrity. I think one of the biggest disappointments that we can have in Christian living is dealing with a fellow brother or sister in Christ who does not have integrity and who is not true to their word. I think in, in our country in general, one of, the, one of the biggest failings we have is at one time, and many of you can remember a time, when if you shook somebody's hand, you didn't have to sign 15 pages of tiny reading that you can't even read and, and have it stamped and notarized and, and cut your wrist, put blood on you, you understand what I'm talking about. All of that, just to keep your word. You know, our word is our bond. Christians are that way. In fact, when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, and Paul is talking about the conflict between Christians... Although he says, and, and I think this is critical and important, he said, don't, don't take your, your internal conflicts before the world. Keep it in-house. But you know, the best thing out of that whole text to me is Paul says, you know what? When you're dealing with others, e even if you have to suffer wrong, do it. Do it. Be the bigger person. Have some integrity. Have some personal integrity. And realize that it's not all about who wins. And how many times have we seen that in and out of the church? It's all about I've got to win. I've got to dominate. I've got to be declared that I am superior. And Christians are not that way. Our lives are not that way. We're going to get to that in just a second. Revenge. Getting even. You have heard that it was said, verse 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I think one of the things that, that we even still don't get today, because we hear that quoted extensively and, and talk about how important that was to the old law. Eye for an eye and tooth for tooth was never about revenge. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was about justice. And that's what they never understood. Well, see, Christians are not about getting even. I've heard people say, I don't get even, I'll get ahead. Well, that's the world talking. 
But Christian living doesn't do that. Christian living doesn't need that that um, mm, dominance. Is that a good, you know, that destruction, that payback, I think is perhaps a, a better word. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and through 19, Paul told those saints, he said, you need to realize that Christians don't return evil for evil. In fact, here's what he says. Let God take care of that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Well, that's Christian living. We're not out to get even. We're not out to settle a score. We're certainly not out for revenge. And oh, by the way, since we're talking about that, Jesus is also going to say, not only do you not get revenge, but you know those enemies that you hate so bad? Don't hate them. In fact, Christians love them. Oh, now, wait a minute now. That, that's gone from, from preaching to meddling. I mean, I, I have to love my enemies? Yeah. Christians do. Well, but why? Because it's the hard thing to do. You know what he tells us? You can love people that love you. But if you really want to show me something, love somebody that hates you. Love your enemy. Love somebody that's trying to hurt you. Then your Christianity comes out. Then who you really are is exposed. Because the way to defeat wickedness and evil is always with love. And that's what Christians do. That's what we stand for. So if we have somebody that, that hates us, okay. Okay, that happens. Again, in our, in our reading from Romans chapter 12, Paul tells them, he says, if you can, live peaceably with everybody, verse 18. But, you know, sometimes you can't. But you don't hate them, and you don't strike back at them, and you don't try to get even. Christians, and part of Christian living, is our generosity. In Act, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus talks about doing our charitable deeds, not, of course, to be seen by men, but because it's the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Don't be hypocritical about it. Just go do it and make sure that you do. That's what Christians do. Do you remember James in James chapter 2? As he described an assembly, he said, you know, this poor person comes in and you kind of, you know, push that person to the side, and, and you really, you know, just kind of sit over there. And then the rich person comes in. Oh, you know, you, we want that person up at the, the best place. We want to exalt that person where we shame the poor person. That's not what Christians do. He said, you're valuing the very people who oppress you. But then he gets even more meddling, if you will. He speaks about that in the early part of the chapter. But then when you go to the latter part of the chapter, he talks about brethren. He says, you know, if you have a brother or sister who's in need, and he said, you know, they come to you and you say, boy, I sure do wish you good luck. I'm paraphrasing now. You can read that words through verse 18. But I told you, there's no way I could do this in our time and cover everything. But go read it. He says, if you sit there and tell them, good luck, I sure hope you get taken care of. That's not what Christians do. He said, you've got a faith that's dead. Because what Christians do is we take care of each other. We look out for each other's needs. We make sure that the brethren are taken care of. Especially the brethren. Galatians chapter 6. And verse 10. As Christians and living the Christian life, Christians have their priorities right. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, again, Jesus covers two specific subjects. He talks about first where our hearts are. 
Because what he's saying is don't lay up treasures on earth. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He said, rather what you do is you lay up treasures that get you to heaven. That's what a Christian in their life is about. We don't set goals to be wealthy. We don't set goals to uh, achieve milestones that we might receive the praise of men. Because even if we do that, and he had talked about our light and how that light was to shine in chapter 5, and how we were to let people see our works, but it was not so that we could be glorified. It was to glorify God. Well, Christians are not so driven for a job or a promotion or a home or vehicles or wealth or whatever to the extent that it damages their pursuit of the only goal that matters, and that's to get to heaven. Because absolutely nothing else matters. Christians living the Christian life have their priorities right. That's a big struggle in the Lord's church. We see it every day, even among our families. Very rarely do you see parents stress and encourage. And, and in fact, if I can say this, and I'm getting a little bit ahead, but I'm just going to touch and we're going to go on. We'll hit it again. Insist that their children understand the Bible, the teachings of the Bible. You don't see memory verses much anymore among the children. You don't see homework. When, when I was growing up, we had homework at church. And I don't ever remember the situation, but I would guarantee you that my parents, I would have probably gotten worse trouble for not doing my Bible school lesson than not doing my homework at school because that was the important thing. And I knew it, and they emphasized it. And we need to do that. We need to emphasize, when, when our children don't see us with the proper priorities, what are they going to grow up with? A misset of the priorities. If I'm in my service to God, it's obvious that God's not first. It's obvious that I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If that's obvious, my children will note it. And I promise I promise there'll be a great danger that they will head in that direction. And he had told those listeners gathered, he said, all the things that you think are so important, what you wear and your food and, and all, all these things, he said, God's going to take care of that. Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. Christians and the Christian life has its priorities Right. And last in our study of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the golden rule of Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Because Christians do unto others as they want others to do unto them. Isn't that a good life lesson? Isn't that a good characteristic that I can incorporate and every time I'm faced with a certain situation, I ask the question, before I actually do something, how would I want to be treated? What would I want them to say or do to me? And how would I be willing to accept that? Because if I treat other people the way that I want to be treated, then our treatment of other people would dramatically go up. But that's Christian living. Well, I've got a little bit of time now. I want to go into some other things and get real specific. Now about teaching in the epistles. Jesus laid the foundation, gave us some really good things to build on. But now let's apply it to us. And let's make it where we can make a statement with our Christian lives. Because here's what Christian living entails. The Christian 
conducts his home entirely different from the world. You remember Joshua 24, 15? You know, when Joshua is about to go into the promised land, Joshua says, you know, you've got a decision to make. You've got a choice to make. He said, you can either go serve the gods that your father served, or you can serve the Lord God. But understand this. Me and my house, we're going to serve God. I don't think there's a better statement that a Christian can make with their lives to say, in our home, we serve God. In Genesis chapter 18, when God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said something that that should stick with every one of us, whether we're a, a man or a woman, we're a husband or a wife, we're a uh, a child, it, it shouldn't matter. But listen to what God says. He says, I can't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah without telling Abraham about it, about what I'm fixing to do. And here's the reason that I've got to do that. He said, I know him. And he commands his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, and the Lord will bring him to the place that he said he would. In other words, Abraham knows I'm going to do what I'm going that I say I'm going to do. And oh, by the way, he makes sure that his household follows those same things. Now, that's what Christians do. That's the way a Christian home is conducted. And so it means, obviously... That parents, if there's children involved, they have to be parents. They have to. And parents teach children. Fathers bring children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. We train them up in the way that they should conduct themselves for the rest of their lives. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 10. And we conduct our home in a way that not only do we teach them literally day and night, but everything in our home reflects back on God and makes them focus and see God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Now that's the way Christians live. We don't have children sitting there telling their parents who the boss is. That's not a Christian home, and that's not a Christian life. Children are children. Children need to be taught. Children need to be instructed. Children need to be disciplined. It's part of the training. It's part of helping them to grow up. And a key component in a Christian life is the older women teaching the younger women, the older men teaching the younger men, and Absolutely, it should be the fathers. And my father taught me, make no mistake, but brethren, I had elders who taught me. I had older women who taught me in Bible class. I have been taught all of my life about God, how important God was, how important he always should be in my life and every single thing that I do. And it was, it was imparted to me nonstop how serious this was. And you know how I knew how serious it was? Because it was serious to my parents. In all of my life, true story, in all of my life, never one time did I walk into any part of the house and say, Daddy, are we going to church today? You kidding me? Why would I think that we weren't going to church? I would never would have even, that thought would have never come in my head. See how fortunate I was? See how grateful I am? And we didn't miss church for anything. Now, understand, when I say we didn't miss church, it wasn't just services. We didn't miss visitation. We didn't miss any project going on at the church, whether it was uh, something needed to be repaired, something that, that needed to be worked on, uh, outreach, gospel meeting. Uh, if it was related to the church, we did it. We did it. My parents would take us visiting with them. 
And when they were visiting people that didn't have kids, guess what the kids did? We sat in the car. And do you know we didn't have a video game to play? No, I didn't have an iPhone to play with. And, and when they came back out, there better not be anything torn up in that car. We sat there. We learned. But we learned how important it was to them. Christian homes have husbands who love their wives. Christian homes have husbands that not only love their wives, but they're not bitter towards them. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Colossians chapter 3, and verse 19. Christian homes have husbands who dwell with their wives with understanding and honor. Do you know how important that is? Do you know kids watch how we treat each other? And if dad is disrespectful to his wife, if dad doesn't honor his wife, those sons are watching and those daughters are watching. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. Christian homes and the way husbands and men conduct themselves is different than the world. Again, I never one time came home and said, well, I wonder if daddy gambled away the rent. Or I wonder if daddy went on another drunken binge and we can't pay for the electricity. I know a lot of people that have. I know a lot of people not blessed. But Christian homes are not conducted that way. Christian home wives submit themselves to the husband as they do to the Lord. Understand how important and critical that is. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and read. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man and man is the head of woman. It's a hierarchy. It is a level of responsibility. And a Christian home doesn't have Wives who are constantly in rebellion. I know of a, a Christian home one time where the husband was trying to raise the boys so that they understood their responsibilities and roles as men in the house. And it came time to say the prayer at the meal, and the wife looked up and said, well, why can't I say the prayer? You can't have that stuff. And this was, this was a woman that was raised in the church all of her life. Christian homes and the Christian lives is not a life of rebellion against authority. Why would a wife put herself in that position? She certainly wouldn't with the Lord. But women are to love their husbands and they are to love their children. Titus chapter 2 and verse 4. And most of all, in the Christian home, marriage is honorable. And the bed is undefiled. That means we're faithful to each other. And that is not what the world does. But that's what the Christian does. I cannot fathom a reason for somebody to be unfaithful. Can't. It all comes down to selfishness. It all comes down to I'm not going to live the way God has told me to live. I'm not going to conduct myself the way that God tells me to conduct myself. Now, I understand that's not the world now. That's not what the world tells us. If she burns the toast, go have an affair. If he works late, go have an affair. I actually knew, and these are true stories, a woman that was struggling in her marriage, and so she went to a professional counselor, marriage counselor. You know what his recommendation to her? You need to have an affair. That's the truth. She told me that. I said, you need another counselor. Because this guy's insane. Well, Christians value purity in their marriage. Christians care how they feel about each other. And the bond that they have as husbands and wives. I tell you, Christians conduct themselves at work completely different than everybody else. We have a completely different standard. 
whether we are the employer or the employee. Listen again to the New Testament. These are the living things that are included in the epistles for Christians. Bond servants. And in this instance, it's a worker. Bond servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. That's the way employees are to be. Are we that type of employee? If we're not, we're not being a Christian. We're not living a Christian life. We're not presenting ourselves as we should as a servant of God. Exhort bondservants, employees, to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things. Not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Christian employees are Christians. We're representing God. For that employer, especially if that employer is not a Christian, it may be the only example of a child of God that they'll ever be around. And so we don't do things that other employees do. We don't act the way that other employees act. We get a fair wage. We give a fair work for that wage. And we're honest about it. And we have integrity. And we have honor. But the employer's not, not off either. Masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1. Employers have a responsibility to treat people just and fair. But let me again suggest a Christian... If that employer doesn't do that, I still am a Christian. I don't change what I do as a Christian. Again, in our world today, hot area. You know we have to be good citizens? You know, I don't have to agree with everything that goes on in our government. In fact, every day I probably disagree far beyond what I agree with that goes on in Washington, Austin, city councils, school boards. I could go on and on, just government in general. But do you know Christians in our lives have specific instructions concerning those that have rule over us, those in our government? Go with me to Romans chapter 13 if you want to follow along. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. These even people we don't like, let me tell you, it's hard for me to find anybody I like. It, it is. So I've got to subject myself to somebody I don't like. One of the things I hate is somebody that's always saying how great they are. I don't like that. I don't get it in anybody's mouth. You don't have to tell me how great. But, but I have to subject myself to that authority. Why? Because there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Do you mean that knucklehead that God wanted him there? Probably because he probably wanted that knucklehead to punish me. Maybe for something I did. Maybe for something I said. Doesn't matter. God put them there and I'm to obey them. Now, what is the one exception? They tell me to do something that's contrary to God's law. Because I'm always going to obey God rather than man. That's not a question. Brethren, this idea that we can uh, resist our government, I, I know Christians say, I'm not going to pay taxes. Well, you can't do that. The Bible specifically talks against it. In fact, Paul says, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now understand, this is written to Roman Christians who are in one of the most corrupt, vile, oppressive, murderous empires that ever existed. And Paul's telling them, you subject yourselves to them. You submit yourselves to them. And in verse 6 of Romans 13, 
He said, you pay your taxes. Since God's put them in there, and they're there by his authority, you pay your taxes, for they are God's ministers continually attending to this very thing. So render to everybody their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. We need to be good citizens. And if we're not, we're not living the Christian life. The way that we treat each other, we just touched on that for a little bit. But I want us to think about a couple of texts that talks about our relationship with each other. I've seen brotherhood fighting all my life. I've seen brothers destroy each other and sisters over the color of the carpet, stupid things. But listen to what the Bible says that should be in my life. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And oh, by the way, Don't be weary in doing it. Just keep doing it. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. See, we're all Christians. And and when we started the Christian life, in God's eye, I'm not man, woman, black, white, tall, short, skinny, well-rounded. You know, he took away all that. Doesn't matter what race I am. Doesn't matter my social background. It doesn't matter. See, he took all of that away. And the Christian doesn't see people in those terms. Peter had to, God had to shake Peter with the dream, remember? And he finally says, in truth, I perceive that God does not show partiality. Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. There is no partiality with God. Romans chapter 2 and verse 11. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. And when Christians show partiality, James says we commit sin. James chapter 2 and verse 9. So that's not part of the Christian life. We don't see people as the world sees people. I got one other and then the lesson will be over. Because this really sort of summed it all up for me. If somebody said, what's the main thing about living the Christian life? And my answer would be, the Christian life is all about serving. Serving others. Serving God. Serving my family, serving my friends, serving the Lord's church. It's just serving. If I'm serving everybody else, then I know I'm like the Lord. You remember, I know you remember John chapter 13. Jesus comes and washes the disciples' feet. Comes down to Peter, and Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. He said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part. He said, well, go ahead and wash me from the top of my head to the sole." And then Jesus said something real interesting. He said, do you know why I did this? He said, you know, you call me teacher and Lord. And you you say, well, for I am. I am your teacher and your Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you Because a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. That's what it's all about. Christian living is about serving. About serving each other. About looking for ways that we can be of service. Everything we've talked about, from Matthew all the way through the epistles, is always about serving others. And if we can serve God rather than the world, we've got this thing. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. 
If we can ever get to the point in our lives where we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, Jesus says, you do that, you'll build everything else on it. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. Love God. Love each other. Love his word. Love his church. But we don't love the world or the things in the world. Because that's not God. That's enmity with God. That separates us from God. It's not part of the Christian life. We have the best life in the world. I've told people, and I believe it with all of my heart, if I believed, and I do not, that this was all somebody's creation, that there really wasn't a God and, and there really weren't all of these requirements, that's still the best life that anybody could ever lead. You can't, nobody's ever presented a better life. Honesty, integrity, morality, honor, respect, love, 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 love. You have love, you have nothing. First Corinthians 13, you can do all these great things, but if you don't love it, it doesn't mean anything. It's better than faith, it's better than hope. Love never fails, First Corinthians 13, verse 8. That's the Christian life, and that's the life we're living. Set aside a time for those in the assembly this evening who may have a spiritual need of some kind to which they would like to come before this assembly and ask the brethren here to pray with them and for them. You know, at one time when I was growing up, that used to always be, you know, intimidating because you always thought, well, if it came forward, I wonder what they did and who can I call to find out. But, you know, I think there's been a good trend that when we're struggling with life, we haven't done anything. We're just struggling. Things have hit us pretty hard. Devil's really knocked us down. And we just need our brothers and sisters to pray with us and for us. Just give me strength. Give me help. You know, I think that's the most precious gift that God gives us as Christians that we can have. You may be in that situation this evening where you just need the prayers of this family for something in your life. But I would never, ever, ever present any lesson that I would not say if you are not a child of God, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, if you're willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith before this assembly, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We'll immerse you in water for the remission of your sins. The Lord will add you to the church this very day, this very hour. And you'll begin living the Christian life. It's a great life. It's a rewarding life. For one day, we will be reunited in heaven with our Savior and our Creator. If you're subject in any way, won't you come as we stand together and as we sing?